0: Actions, antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. A major component to our lives, especially in the 21st century, although I would argue has always been a major component to the human experience, is the idea of a reset, a time when you have to kind of reevaluate. I feel like New Year's in its purest form is actually a natural built in reset into our schedules. Every year, we take time to stop, reevaluate, and figure out what it is that we really want. On the topic of reset, I bring to you my guest today, Taylor Short, the founder of a wellness business, as well as recent author of a book, Reset Your Relationship to Your Job. Taylor, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm jazzed to be here.
0: Definitely. So let's start off by talking about Harmonious Return, your wellness business. It seems like you have different types of events and coaching, but all around this theme of resetting. Briefly describe what the business is about, what the goal is, and and what your methods are.
1: Yeah, I love that you can see kind of the overarching because I started with we can even start like with the book being kind of the catalyst. Oh, so, yeah, the book is kind of the catalyst and like the most accessible way to work with me or, or kind of understand the work that I do in the world, but on a broader level of this reset you're so right as the whole idea around this was when i came from corporate america extreme burnout side but on the external really feeling conflicted because i had the corporate salary the corporate title you know all of the things that i thought should make me happy, but I was feeling this really incongruency within myself and through my own journey, I started to say, what is going on here? Kind of doing this reset myself, mind you, this was a gradual progression over a few years, but in my discovery kind of looked around and said, we are moving at this pace that is just so unnatural you know, us humans, we are nature and nothing in nature moves a hundred percent of the time, expels their energy a hundred percent of the time. Mm -hmm. And so really started to kind of dive deeper into the work that I do to help people. The first step is really to pause, like, is your life working for you right now? Because we get so caught up in the days, turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years. And I would Revel in some of these people that were at the end of their lives. They had lived a long life. And looking back at some of the advice they gave to us, you know, that were fortunate enough to learn from, you know, what they learned in an entire lifetime. And so many of them had so many regrets. I would have paid attention to my life more. I would have done more things that I wanted to do. And so the reset is really around that intentional pause that we don't normally do at this pace to say, is work working for me? Is life working for me? And really, if it's not, then what do I need to do to reset that?
0: Just to start off the story, what was this corporate job that you had?
1: Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily just one because anyone does. I think when we graduate from our undergrad studies, we just, at least I didn't question it. You just get a job and you work your way up and that's kind of what's going to create your success or your happiness. And so along the way I did that and I was really successful at jumping promotions to getting salaries. And at the end, I mean, I had been in different industries, but at the end I was spending time in the financial services world and really was successful to all my family, to people on the outside. Like, wow, you've got this salary and this title. This is awesome. But inside it was like, I am miserable. There mm-hmm. is something significantly wrong here. So I started yeah. to that, like, we're pushing for more harder, work faster. You can't really produce more out of these people. And so that was like the corporate world. I don't know if that quite answers your question. Yeah,
0: That makes sense. And I brought this up in a couple of previous podcast episodes. I often describe this state of being as living by the script, the script being what's kind of put out for you go to school, get a good degree, get good grades, then go to the corporation or go to some sort of large organization and move up the ladder. Mm -hmm. And of course, I've also experienced the whole work harder, work faster. And it sounds like you ended up in a state that people refer to as burnout. There seems to be a couple of factors. One is the sheer amount of work, the sheer amount of busyness, but other factors often brought up are misalignment. Mm -hmm. For your story of burnout, Which of these two factors do you feel like was the primary contributor?
1: Yeah, I really think it's a combination of both. So definitely like towards the end, I kept saying, okay, you can work at full capacity for a project or a push or a deadline. But when it's just consistently pushed on, like you finally finished this sprint launch or something, and then another project is just as urgent, that sheer volume and amount that was being requested to output was definitely a factor. But I think at that same time you're battling with, or I was, having that exhaustion literally and then not being able to do things that fulfilled me outside of my job because of that burnout was like that misalignment too of I can't even do the things that I want to do outside of work because of work.
0: Yeah, that seems like a tough state and a state that a lot of people are in. It's actually a state that I've observed that's part of the motivation for this podcast in the first place is how many people seem to be, I'd say, stuck. And so when it comes to this reset, this reevaluation process, now I often cite New Year's And when I talk about New Year's, I don't talk about being drunk until four in the morning, although I do have to acknowledge I have partaken in that. I talk about the process where you spend the last two weeks of the year summing up the year that just happened. Where were you a year ago? Where are you now? And then making resolutions. A lot of people make resolutions. I make goals and roadmaps, but making these plans for what next year is gonna be. In your view, is that sufficient? How often should someone be stopping, taking a deep breath and saying, I need to reevaluate. I need to pause. I think as you put it.
1: Yeah. An annual reset I think is amazing. I, however, in my book, in my work, talk about using nature in this sense. And aligning with the seasonal changes is how I personally do it. So Mm. that's quarterly. So I feel like three months is a sufficient time to practice what you've set up or how you want to be at the beginning of that season. Seasons also have different energies. We're not going to have the same amount of energy every single season throughout an entire year. So maybe you have like, traditionally winter, for example, mm-hmm. is yep. kind of going inward. How do you want to be in winter? How do you want to be in spring? You know, and so forth. So that's one of the ways. And then also sometimes people like to go with the moon cycles. So monthly mm-hmm. really, of like, okay, maybe it's a full moon, maybe it's the new moon. So I think annually, it's an awesome way to look at like macro level Yep. Like this is how it was. I think looking back to is important. What did I learn? What were some of those themes? It's easy to get carried away. So I think quarterly works the best for me personally.
0: Seasons are very important. And it's interesting that you bring up the moon cycles because I'm originally from Long Island and I spent a lot of my life in Chicago. And one of the things I realized living in Colorado is I had never really paid much attention to the moon cycles until I'd be say on a backpacking trip. And it was four years ago-ish when we had that total solar eclipse. And my group, we planned our backpacking trip around that eclipse. And as a result, we planned on it during a new moon. And then nighttime comes and I suddenly realize, holy shit, I can see all the stars so clearly, as opposed to the last time we were backpacking, it happened to be a full moon. And there were moon shadows everywhere. And I realized people in different places and different eras actually used to have their lives impacted so much more by these lunar cycles.
1: Yeah. I just got goosebumps with you saying that because (laughs) it's really true. Like when you experience that the night sky with interrupted light, it really is like it's a jaw dropping moment because I've experienced Mm
0: -hmm. it's different. I actually imagine people like Galileo back centuries ago who were just so excited to get out that telescope and record the exact position of stars every single night and eventually make these discoveries about how all the constellations work. It's amazing. We take that knowledge for granted, for sure.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's so incredible. And I think that that is a secondary benefit. Really I teach with nature, but it's really the pace and the need for reset kind of goes back to how disconnected we've become to nature and not long ago, mm-hmm. you know, being in the wild was our, our home and our habitat you know, of our ancestors. And so even though technology has just catapulted us you know, so far ahead, we've kind of gotten to this point, which I believe that we're out of our natural rhythm a little bit. Our brains haven't caught up
0: to, they're still very ancestral It reminds me of one of my favorite recent quotes, which says, like, we have primal brains, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. Our brains are not really caught up to it. And our institutions very much are optimized to a prior era. So what do you think are the warning signs? If someone, say, needs a reset, what should be looking for? Say you just talking to all your friends or you're thinking about all your friends and you're, like, wondering, oh, is this person really burnt out in need of a reset? Or are they just really busy? What is the difference between those two categories of existence?
1: Yeah, I love that. Because it is so different. I'm such a big believer in balance. But balance is not something that we get obsessed about like a daily thing, right? Life Mm -hmm. happens, we have to have some ebb and flow. So I would say any signs for burnout, this is happening consistently over, I would say at least a month or more. So you kind of give yourself, okay, it wasn't just a bad week. It doesn't wasn't just a bad yeah. day. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like physical, mental and spiritual. That's what I, I'm a holistic teacher. So it's looking mm-hmm. at all aspects of that, but physical, first of all, a big thing with burnout is if you have work anxiety, a lot of people now is they're calling it Sunday scaries. The Monday. So it's like you're physically starting to get anxiety, depression, thinking about going to work that next week. That's definitely something that is kind of a, if your body telling you something's not right here. Another physical thing is interrupted sleep, insomnia. If you're waking up worrying about work or your mind is racing and you can't fall asleep, that's another big sign of burnout. And then physical, too, this kind of goes into the mind, but this need to kind of numb out at the end of the day. It's like you're collapsing. So it could be any type of choice. Mine tended to be alcohol or wine. A lot of times it's scrolling. We're looking at, you know, TV. It's like your body's just like, I can't handle one more sensory input. I need to numb out. And then mind, I guess we kind of talked about that. But if you feel like you're consistently stuck in work, if you're replaying like conversations with your boss or things you would have said, or how can you bring this up that you need support? Like if you're constantly thinking about it, I think that's a a huge hint. spiritually, or I call it purpose or passion is it kind of looks on the opposite end. If you feel like, okay, things are really good in my life, but it's a really a sense of a void within, like you just feel like there's Mm. a, He's missing. Okay. So that a lot of times burnout can come not just from too much, but too little of what you enjoy is a big part of it as well.
0: One real quick thing I wanted to touch on is because sometimes people who dive into say entrepreneurship for the first time in their lives do end up experiencing some interrupted sleep slash anxiety around a new experience is that something that should be treated differently? Say you just changed jobs or just started a new company a month or two ago versus I've been in this job for three years doing the same function for three years and I'm getting this anxiety?
1: Yeah, ish. So I think definitely if you're in somewhere for years and this has been going on, like something needs to change. If you're a new entrepreneur, right, it's a little bit different, but I think it's equally as important because. I don't know the statistics around the success rate on people who make it, but yeah. I can speak from my experience was the first year I was working for myself. I almost didn't make it because the burnout nearly killed me because you're yeah, just like, I mean, you're and you're wanting to bring it and you're just putting everything into work. So I think there's a really fine balance in specifically new entrepreneurs and making sure that you're still doing things
0: yeah. outside
1: of your work that are important to you that you know you need in your life to be happy and balanced.
0: Without a doubt. And I think of the phrase filling up your cup, because one of the things I think of when I think of energy, and you can tell me if you have a different perspective on it, is that sometimes we can get burned out by using too much of our energy, but sometimes we can actually improve our energy by doing more of the things that give us energy, whether that be better alignment. One of the topics that's really Deep in my mind is the idea of community, the idea of interacting with one another, because that I see as a gigantic problem in the early 21st century. And that some people might actually naturally have more energy if they were to spend more time with their loved ones or spend more time in the community of people that encourage them and support them rather than some of those, you know, more negative or more cynical people out there. Is there a component of like kind of increasing the size of the pie? as well as trying to spend less time, say, extracting from yourself or having your boss extract from you.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's so awesome. And it is your community aspect is so important. It's really about working less or working smarter, not harder to bring more. It's -hmm. kind of like When we're looking at not following the script, it's kind of like our minds start to go a little bit, uh, but it really is when we take a step back and get out of that burnout and look at like, what are the areas that aren't working for me? And just tweak a little bit of like bringing in some other areas of you're exactly right. Gosh, I haven't spent any time in community in the last month. Maybe that's a little bit of an area that I want to bring in and see how that shifts things. I think it's kind of both. You want to have kind of an overall balance in the coaching world. We talk about, there's this thing called the coaching wheel, and it really pulls Mm. out like eight pillars of your life. So it's things like work, finances, physical health, spirituality. So it's got kind of all of these different parts, family, relationships, community service, and you kind of look at a holistic view of your life and rate like, right? Where are you as far as fulfillment in those areas? And then, okay. So I see like my family life, for example, is rating really low. That's because I've been working really hard. So what can I do maybe this week even to kind of increase that? So it's a little bit of like balancing out overall and then, yeah, bringing in things that do give you that life force energy.
0: That's interesting because- So you have eight pillars of your life. I actually do evaluate my life quarterly on six pillars. I decided quarterly, but in your view, how frequently should someone be evaluating whether it be eight pillars, six pillars, four, is quarterly a good frequency for evaluating these? Or is this something that needs to be thought about a little bit more frequently?
1: I'm working with people weekly, usually at the start of the week, like a Sunday is great because you're about to go into Monday. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be anything overhaul. Everything that I do is simple by design because we have way too much complexity, I think to so many things, but all you have to do is do a quick five minute snapshot of, okay, here's where I am. What are two things that I could do this week to be where I would rather be so simple like that. And it can make a profound difference. I'm sure you've probably seen it in just Definitely. where you want
0: to be. Can you kind of go through these eight pillars, what they are?
1: Absolutely. So I have one in my book that's specifically for work, but for life. So it would be family, relationships that could be outside of family, work, finances, health, spirituality, fun, and community service.
0: When people come to you, whether it be for coaching or through your events, is there one of those eight that, or one or two of these eight that you tend to identify? Is there a mode? To what people tend to have deficiencies in?
1: Yeah. Cool question. I don't know if it's one of the areas, maybe it is one of the areas, but it tends to be the people that usually work with coaches are really pretty self-aware, trying to mm-hmm. figure out where they want to be and really generous in giving their time to others and to their work. Mm-hmm. So it's typically like focusing on their selves, and what really brings their own joy to themselves or fun. Not like, okay, this isn't what your partner wants to do. This isn't what your kids want to do. It's not what your pet wants to do. This is all about what (laughs) you want to do. You know, like just individual fun is, it's kind of sad how little people do in their lives to bring in joy to just themselves.
0: Yeah, definitely. The reason I laughed about that is because last night I was editing a different podcast and my dog literally jumped up on me like, No, it's time to play. It's time to go for a walk.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, Just for a point of reference, your customer base for your events and your coaching service, do they tend to be certain age ranges or do they tend to be all over the place?
1: I would say definitely midlife, right? So... Mm -hmm. Anywhere, I would say this is just tendency anywhere from like late thirties, maybe even up to the retirement age. I really have and see a great need for people on the brink of retirement and that phase of their life, because especially with the boomers and men specifically, I know this is really generalizing, but Mm -hmm. the boomer men, their sense of purpose was work. So when you enter into retirement, it's really important to be able to bring in purpose and passion into that part of your life. And what does that part of your life look like when you are missing something? That's where I'm seeing a need, but traditionally in the work life, it's kind of people who are midlife and in their mid careers.
0: One topic I'm really interested in, and I have a couple of other podcasts that touch on the subject of kind of these generational differences and these generational shifts, because one thing that I have observed as a millennial is boomers of my parents' generation do put a lot of their identity into their work. And it seems like in that generation, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week was a virtue. And is a virtue that I personally decided I did not really want to continue. Do you observe with some of your, the differences between some of the older and the younger clients of yours, a generational shift in that value? And if so, what is the impact on how it manifests and what people end up struggling with in different points of reset in their lives?
1: Yeah. Another really cool question because I can kind of see that exact scenario playing out because the boomers, right? That was, that was kind of their purpose and passion. I kind of see it as like the millennials now, like, oh, we want to follow our purpose and passion that Mm -hmm. was. So they were kind of fulfilling it that way. And maybe it did burn them out and they didn't talk about it. Maybe it wasn't acceptable to talk about it, but I think the struggle for them is now is now, what do I do at retirement? Kind of like we were just talking
0: about. Yep.
1: Gen X is like a little bit stuck in between I'm finding. So they really <laughs> yeah. do, it's interesting. They feel like they have some of that, like that more, more so than millennials. And again, these are super general. Yep.
0: Trends, Definitely.
1: That they still have a little bit of that loyalty to companies, right? Like I really want to stay with a company And I really want to have a passion and purpose and be happy. So they're kind of like flirting with both sides there a little bit. And then of course the millennials are like, no, I really need to have a job that's purposeful to me. That feels good. I don't want my work to be my life. I want my life to be my life and then work to be a part of it. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, yeah, definitely shifting as we go. It'll be interesting to see what's to come.
0: Definitely. And with the, Gen Z entering the workforce now. There'll be some more discussions about this in some later episodes, hopefully, but Gen Z, people often try to first glance characterize them as like just more millennials, but there's actually evidence showing that it may be something completely different than the baby boomers, Gen X, or the millennials.
1: Yeah, I just think that's going to be so amazing to see what they bring to the table. I don't know. I'm just a big believer in like, we don't want to shame the other generation. Like, what strengths does everyone bring to the table? And what a cool opportunity to have all of these different brains and passions together.
0: There's one more topic I wanted to get to as far as this whole burnout thing, which is just what does burnout look like from a personal perspective? So, we talked a little bit about what we look for friends to decide okay, do they need to reset? from a personal perspective how would someone go about knowing they need say not just your standard quarterly or whatever frequency relook at their tenants of life but a complete reset a complete reimagining of what someone is doing
1: yeah funny i was just thinking about this this morning actually we always tend to put ourselves last when it comes to looking at things and i think it's just hmm. because of convenience really but It tends to be that people usually shift or do a reset or a transformation of some sort, really because either something really drastic happens to someone they love. Hmm. It could be, it's like a, a near death or a death experience or a diagnosis or something, or, you know, they kind of hit like, like I did hit my rock bottom and said, there's no other way. So that's the two tendencies that I've seen. What I would love to see is people kind of knowing their internal barometers, saying like something's off, not have to get to this breaking point, mm-hmm. but it's putting some more like empowerment back on yourself. Are you happy? Yeah. And also realizing that it doesn't need to be a complete upheaval of your life. Like yeah. I did all of this in my same job with a family kid going to school, it's really possible to change your life while you're living it. And you don't need to go, you know, on a 30 day silent retreat every week It's <laughs> like you can do it in a way that's, yeah. that's, Realistic. And so I think it's really looking at yourself like, am I happy? And kind of turning off the external noise too. Because a lot of times our ones that are closest to us say, yes, you're happy. And they have no idea what's really going on inside. Um, Am I happy? And if not, is it time to kind of adjust that? Yeah.
0: So there's two things in that one little section that I want to reiterate to my audience. One is, of course, the fact that we do often put ourselves last. I think oftentimes we put our jobs, other needs, your family, your pet, as we mentioned before, but what about what I need and what they do in the airplane where they say like, pull the mask over your own face before you assist others. Cause you're not really of any help to others. If you haven't helped yourself. And then the other thing I want to point out is this idea that a reset or a transformation or something doesn't necessarily always have to follow the same formula of, I went to Alaska and I spent 30 days in the woods surviving off of like leftover bear carcasses or whatever. I was actually able to do it while just adopting a new, better attitude or adopting a few new things every day. Like, oh, if I write a gratitude journal or something simplistic like that. So I do want to actually get into a little bit of specifics about your story. You said, unfortunately, you did have to hit rock bottom. Something in that story inspired you to both start Harmonious Return as well as write the book that you just put out.
1: Yeah. So basically... I was following the script, as you called it, which I love. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I really, in my heart, believed if I was financially stable and successful in a corporate job, then I would be happy in life. Yep. So That's what I, what I set out to do. So it wasn't like just overnight that this happened. It was this gradual thing. Of course, there were things like alcohol coming into play with my numbing out. You know, I would say there was maybe like three years where I kind of just not doing so well mentally and, and was dealing mm. with you know, just some depression and anxiety and that type of thing that was worsening. And then also having this like feeling of guilt, like, why am I not happy? You know, I should be happy. I have all these things. I have an awesome family. I have everything that I could want. Like, what is wrong with me? And so I had this battle going on really inside of like, you should be happy. You're miserable. You should be happy. And came to a head really one night that I talk about in my book. Some people call the dark night of the soul. I call it Mm. my awakening. So that moment, I was atheist at the time. I didn't really believe in a God or anything. And I remember hearing clear as day, you have to learn how to control your mind or it's going to control you. Mm. And that was like such a profound message to me. I didn't really know what it meant, but that was my turning point of like, all right, you're putting all into figuring this out because there's really no other way. You can't continue this way. And so through my own journey, you know, getting support through working with a coach myself and finding meditation and yoga, nature, all these modalities, I started to put them into practice over time. Nothing shifted on the external. So I was still in the same job, still in the same marriage, yep. but started to see these profound results and I was like, wow. So it really is about yourself, really. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Like
1: nothing externally is changing. I'm changing, coming to a place of this. But I really came to a point in my life where I was like, I cannot believe how amazing my life is now. You know, I was like Mm -hmm. from bottom to top, like this is the way life is supposed to be. And so that was my catalyst to kind of say, there's gotta be a different way to help support these people. And from there, kind of developed my four-step process and then wrote my book with that and started this business to help really support people because I just think there's no reason why we should hate the jobs that we're in.
0: So first of all, I love that statement. You have to learn to control your mind or it controls you. Mm -hmm. And once you began this process of, it sounds like it starts within, and I've read this in other places too, the first wave is internal. Every change you want to make, you can't wait for something outside to change you. You have to change yourself first. What were these internal changes and what were the external manifestations of these changes that you experienced over this period when you said your life went upside down from the state of depression to the state of better alignment?
1: Yeah. Well, and I think too, it's almost radical for us to say like we should be focusing internally When we Mm -hmm. live in such a global society that tells us that all of these other external things will fix us, a get rich quick pill that you can take, you know, we're always looking for an external fix. So I think it's
0: all advertisement.
1: Yeah. And it's really an internal job. So internally, when I first started out, my mind was such a mess, which I'm thankful, you know, at this time for that moment, but I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to try this meditation Meditation mm-hmm. was one of the very first places that I started and I was terrified to sit with my thoughts. There's no way, especially coming from someone who suffered from yeah. <laughs> anxiety and depression, like that is torture. Yeah. And, like you have all these fears in the back of your mind that are kind of behind you and they sound like they're so powerful and strong. And then you start to kind of turn to look at them. And it is a powerful process to be able to start to see like the things that are being said to you and how small they get. And you kind of start to look at them from a place of curiosity of like, wow, this is really fascinating to understand these thought patterns and why are these things coming up internally, turning the dialogue from trying to just put all of my energy into shutting out these voices that wouldn't go away to Mm -hmm. then turning and listening to them and then allowing that to kind of dissipate. So the internal chatter kind of quieted really. And then externally, it's like you're awakened to the world because you're not just stuck in your mind and you can see life outside. I mean, that's as simple as it is, like the amazing beauties that are outside and you have mental capacity to bring in things that I loved,
0: you know? And I never thought of meditation as a fear facing type of activity, because it is like a lot of us are afraid of our own thoughts, which is why we feel the need to perpetually be busy or take part in the booze or any of the other list of distraction techniques. But we're all kind of just facing our fears and sound like you faced a lot of fears. And it also sounds like this meditation, this yoga, this nature is a big part of your business in harmonious return.
1: Yeah. So I'm a big proponent in coaching and working with people. It's really not about, even though I do have a process that I take people through, it's really more of a container. I'm not a big believer in forcing any type of tools or modalities on anyone. For example, in the third pillar that I have, one of the components is it's really important for all of us to find daily quiet practice. And for many of us, that could be meditation. But for many of us, meditation just does not work. And so, for my husband, for example, he literally meditates when he is mountain biking. Oh, nice. He feels that same sense of calm and quiet and can hear his internal voice when he's on his bike. And so, I think it's so important for us to a lot of people get stuck even though i will preach about meditation all day any day just based on the science behind it but it's important for us to find quiet and a lot of that is being in nature and in, and nature is different than going on a hike because i feel like you can still be in your brain in varying space if you're walking really fast and going to a destination but sitting mm-hmm.
0: in nature yeah one of the
1: practices is just sitting in nature in your backyard for 10 minutes a day and it will change your life i promise but Finding some sort of quieting within yourself it can be through yoga, it can be through meditation, mountain biking. It can be through sitting in nature, whatever that modality is for you. It doesn't really matter as long as it's working for you.
0: Mm-hmm. And one thing I love about this is first of all, it's individualistic in the sense that there's no one solution for everyone. But second of all, for those that are in the state of burnout, where you really feel like you don't have any spare time whatsoever, any spare energy It's not this gigantic undertaking. There are these little two or three minutes a day things you can do to start getting on the path to a better mindset, to allowing space for yourself. So I am so happy for you. I'm so happy for your business. I'm so happy that you got a book out. Real quick, first of all, I want my audience to know how to get a hold of you, your website, how to find out more about your book, about your services, about your company.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. Again, my name is Taylor Short, and then my website is harmoniousreturn.com. And it's really linked to everything in there. So my book, my social handles are all on there, and you can learn more about me there.
0: Definitely. And then I just want to wrap up by getting a little sense for what all goes into writing a book. I read a lot of books, and I'm sure a lot of people listening here also read a lot of books, and we kind of in this world, take for granted how many books are just readily available to us at our local bookstore or on Amazon, or I prefer thriftbooks.com actually. How in depth of a process do the people that write all of our favorite books go through?
1: Yes. It's mind blowing really. Cause I thought I would just write a book and that was that I like writing write a book <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it was like, Oh, that's not how it goes. And there's so many different genres. So I have a creative style of writing as well that I didn't bring into this as much. I do have some, but informational books are different too. So I would say start to finish, it was about nine months. I kind of always knew that I had books or books in me. It's such a fascinating process. And even being a prior project manager... I first of all learned that I'm really good at sprint projects, but a long term <laughs> project was yeah, really, yeah. really challenging to manage for myself. And really going from like having this idea that is really untangible and pulling that into then something that you can create and put into words. And then another fascinating thing that I discovered was how lonely the process of writing a book is because Mm. you are consistently by yourself, truly writing and writing and writing. And then I remember once I started to have people read through it, it was like, you felt like you're on stage naked because you didn't know if they were going (laughs) to, if they were going to. Yeah shown you like it really felt very vulnerable, but the process, I would say the one thing that I really loved when I took a writing retreat last year was she taught us about, you have to balance the magic with the mundane. And I talk about that in my book too, because you will feel these moments of bliss of like just writing. And it's really your heart that you're writing from, But then you have to organize the book and put it into different ways that people can understand it. So it's really balancing. And that's in life too, is balancing the magic with the mundane of things that we have to do. It was the process, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I guess life isn't a trip to your favorite amusement park. There's (laughs) going to be some, even at your favorite amusement park, you're going to be on the ride and you're going to wait for the ride for 45 minutes. So there is going to be the mundane. So the book is titled, Reset Your Relationship to Your Job. The business is titled Harmonious Return. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today, for telling us all your story. And hopefully we'll also all be encouraged wherever you are, to do those little two or three minutes a day where we can kind of bring ourselves into a better mindset where we're taking care of ourselves as opposed to only taking care of our jobs, our employers, our families, and our pets. Also, hopefully we all can have a chance to reset next time that we actually truly need it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.